Thank you for joining us today. Whether you are part of the Lighthouse family, be it on-site with us weekly or tuning in online, we'd love to connect with you via our social media at Lighthouse Ely. It's on all our social media platforms. I hope this word encourages you and inspires you. Enjoy the message. Amen. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Thank you, thank you. Aren't you glad you came? Look at your sweaty neighbour. Do they look like they're glad they're here? (laughs) Sorry, look at your neighbour. Are you warm enough? Good, good. So we we want to open the scriptures this morning, and I'm going to go with Hebrews chapter 12, by the grace of God. If you've got a Bible, you can just have it open and have a look at that. And uh, we're really talking about uh, holiness, and uh, this is uh, God's discipline brings us into a share of his holiness. And I've been kind of thinking about that this week. What does it mean to share in God's holiness? Uh, Sometimes when we're trying to figure everything out and we're trying to uh, live our lives in the right way, we look at what does holiness mean to us and what does it mean for me to be right with God. Um, But this is whole other level stuff. This is God's holiness. And my picture of God's holiness seems to be quite a bit higher than than something I could attain, that's for sure. And uh, it's good to have a high view of God's holiness and a high view of Christ. And uh, then how does that leave us? And where are we? But I want to begin this message by prefacing with that we are part of God's new creation. And the understanding that the new creation has been launched uh, in the resurrection, something changed forever. We were remade in the image of God as his new creation. And I believe there's a calling on believers to live as those new creations on earth, to act like they are the new creations, and to live that out and to walk that out in a daily uh, walk with God. And we're talking about new creation and sharing in God's holiness to live as Christ taught us to live. I don't know about you, but I read the, the sermons of Christ and the instructions that he gave to his disciples. And I wonder if that word disciple and discipline kind of have some sort of similar root to them. And then there's a, as a scripture, uh, Jesus says in Matthew 5, I think it's verse 20, and he says, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees and the scribes, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven, or you can have no part in it. And it's scriptures like this that make us stop dead in our tracks and look at our self-righteous stand, which Joe preached about recently. What is our self-righteousness or how do we justify ourselves and compare ourselves to ourselves? We're looking pretty good. Some of us looking pretty good. But what standard are we comparing ourselves to? Is it God's holy standard? In which case, I, I, would, I would say that we all fall short of the glory of God um, and we need a saviour. The holiness we're discussing today as God's people is to live as these renewed human beings 
to live as the new creation. And of course, that's tough because we live in a world and yet we want to remain undefiled by the world, to be pure and holy. And Paul wrote to the, to the churches, he wrote to many of the churches to encourage them and certainly to challenge them. And there were so many problems in the churches. Uh, uh, the Corinth is one that comes to mind. And someone said to me recently, one of the problems that Corinth had is they had no boundaries to the, to the evil in the world around them. And they allowed that evil to come into their church. And of course, Paul is uh, correcting them. Peter's correcting them. Pe Paul is saying, do you not know you're the temple of the living God? Do you not know the Holy Spirit dwells in you? And Peter's saying, come on, guys, you are holy people. You are a royal priesthood. And then James, God bless him, writes and says, you know, you want to be obedient children of God. You want to be doers of the word and not just hearers only. And he writes this, this lovely thing, James 1.27. He says, if we're religious and we can't hold our tongue, then we're in trouble. Sorry, that's not 27. 27 says, Pure religion is to care for the orphans and the widows in their distress and remain unstained from the world around us. But of course, this only happens through the cross, through the resurrection, and through God's working of his Holy Spirit. And maybe we need to go back to those foundation realities and say, Where am I on this? And say, Lord, have mercy on me, for I am a sinner. And sin means I've missed the mark. It's an archery term where I've missed the mark of God's holy standard. And I think that puts us all in that category. True? Because it's not that we can say to people, hey, look at me, look at my life, come and be like me. And I think that's where we fall down when we ha have expectations on others to be perfect and to, to be righteous and then we follow them and we end up following them off the cliff or following them into a ditch. And Jesus said, you're the blind lead in the blind. And uh, what happens there? But I think there's a higher standard of holiness and righteousness that we need to come up to. And of course, people don't like this because then I get into condemnation and I get into guilt, you know, but Jesus, uh, Paul preaches, he says, come on, you come out of condemnation when you are in Christ, Romans 8. And Paul warns the church, he says, don't judge yourselves by yourselves, as 2 Corinthians uh, 10. And as a Christian life has to begin with forgiveness, it has to begin with repentance, but I think that is a continual walk of forgiveness. I know forgiveness is a, is a tricky subject, especially if you've been hurt, and sometimes you have to just go, I'm going to walk in it, I'm going to live in it, I'm going to continually live in forgiveness, receiving forgiveness from God and, and dishing out forgiveness to others. And that repentant heart, you know, and, and that prayer saying, Lord, rid me of anything that is unholy. And James writes in chapter 4, uh, verse 8, he says, draw near to God. And guess what happens? He draws near to you. And I think if we can allow the Holy Spirit, the spirit of holiness to come in us, he says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. If you're ever feeling like you're self-righteous, 
and you're doing all right, just have a read of James. He'll put you straight. So we're looking at discipline. We're looking at holiness this morning. And let's open in Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, we'll start at verse 5, yes. And, ha- and, have, and you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as children. My child, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord or lose heart when you're punished by him. For the Lord disciplines those whom he loves, chastises every child whom he accepts. Endure trials for the sake of discipline. God is treating you as children, for what child is there whom a parent does not discipline? If you do not have that discipline in which all children share, then you are illegitimate and not his children. Moreover, we had human parents to discipline us, and we respected them. Should we not even be more willing to be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good in order that we might share in his holiness. Isn't that a lovely, lovely thought there? Now, discipline always seems painful rather than pleasant at the time, but it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees, and make straight the paths for your feet, so that which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather healed. Pursue peace with everyone, and the holiness without which no one can see the Lord. See to it, see to it that no one falls, fails to obtain the grace of God, and no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and through it you might become defiled." Picking up on a couple of these things, what does it mean to be disciplined for our good that we might share in his holiness? And holiness, people think, maybe is that something that's missing uh, in my life? Maybe it's something missing in the church uh, worldwide. And Paul addresses these things. Paul addresses a a couple of things. uh, Unity, really important. Holiness, really important. And holiness means that, it's, that you're set apart. And unity is kind of us, how we're working together and living and uh, in community. And how do we display those two tensions? If we're all about holiness, then do we leave some unity behind? And if we're all about unity, do we leave some of the holiness behind? But how do we build a community in which we're able to live and act as truly as new creations? I was talking to my mum, it was her birthday uh, the other day, and she said, let me share my favourite scripture with you. And I thought, okay, I'm going to put this in my sermon. But it's Galatians 2.20. And it's this idea that the life I live is by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Our life is in the cruciformity. It's in the crucified life. And if I think I'm living out of my own strength, I'm living out of my old life, I'm living out of my flesh to please myself, then I'm never going to live up to the standard of God's law. He says, though I, through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live in, I live in the flesh, but I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
So unpacking what it truly means to be in Christ. It means rejection of the world and its standards through the death to our flesh and living the life that God calls us to live. Living that life of faith means I'm trusting God to fulfill all the things that God has commanded me to walk in. That's the walk of faith, isn't it? It's saying, I'm not going to look at my own circumstances. I'm not going to look at my own life. I'm going to look to Jesus. And I'm skipping on to to Hebrews there. But I'm going to look to the life of Christ in me. And I'm a disciple of Christ. Not just someone that uh, says that I'm a Christian, but someone that truly wants to live a disciple, disciplined life. Willing to be subject to teaching and correction. And in, in, scripture, in our scripture here, the discipline that he's talking about is that child-parent situation. I know as a, as a child, you know, or as children, we don't always know what's best for us. You know, we want ice cream before our dinner. And our parents say, no, come on, you eat your vegetables, then you can have your ice cream. And you have a little conversation going on there, a little negotiation. How many do that with their children? Yeah, a little bit of negotiation to say, come on, this is what's good for you. And that's how we're like with God. God knows what's good for us and knows what's best for us. And sometimes we can't see it because of maybe we're stubborn or maybe we've got some selfish, uh, uncrucified desires that we want our way and stomp our feet and say, God, I'm not going to live your way. I want to live my way. But God says, listen, I know what's best for you. If you would just heed my word, you would be fruitful. If you would just listen That listen and obey, that goes right back to uh, Deuteronomy 6, isn't it? Hear, O Israel, hear, the Lord your God is one. That hear is is the words listen and obey. They're, They're very similar or they're the same word. It's the same concept. How do you know your child is listening? Because they're obeying. If they're not obeying, guess what? They're not listening. And this is the situation that God wants to have for us, where he wants the best for us. And we know the number one way that God will discipline us or correct us is through his word. And maybe that's the best way to correct our children, uh, is to use words and hope they listen. And I wonder if God has that same hope and faith in us that we have in our children. How many children only need to hear it once and then just get on with it. I know you all, who has those perfect children? Yeah, you all, yeah, you all do. Yes, there you go, he's one there. You only need to hear it once and that's it. You've told me, I'll obey. I won't question it. I'll just get on with it. I never did anything wrong ever again. Right, you know, as, as children of God, we sometimes need to be reminded or maybe constantly need to be reminded. And maybe that is more than we care to recall. So if our children don't, and they continuously don't, what do we do? We have to take other measures. Why? Because we love them. And we want the best for them. We want them to have a good future. So if they're not listening and listening, what do we do? We take other measures. But God gives us scripture to help us. Paul told Timothy that, The scripture is useful for correction and training. That's the same word, that discipline, that that, uh, Hebrews writer says, that Paul says to Timothy. And God put things in his word for us to learn. 
And wouldn't it be nice if we could learn from others' mistakes rather than us having to make those mistakes ourselves? Maybe we need to go to the school of the spirit, not to the school of, uh, uh, school of bad decisions. How many have been there? And that's, that's the one way to learn, isn't it? Maybe that's the hard way. But there's a, we can learn from someone like Solomon. You know, Solomon, he had, he had everything, didn't he? He had all the women, he had all the gold. And yet he says in Ecclesiastes, he says, I've, I've done that. I've been there, done that, got the T-shirt. And I tell you what, at the end, it's all vanity. It's all empty. There's nothing in it. And I think, well, maybe we could learn a lesson from that or learn from the mistakes of Elijah, learn from the mistakes of David. And uh, it's, no, it's not by accident these stories are put in and we're seeing the flaws of these very human beings whom God, in fact, uses to work mighty, mighty things. Second point, disciplined for the fruits of righteousness. Actually, that, that's there is peaceful fruits of righteousness. And if we want to bear fruit or we want to have the evidence of uh, right standing in our lives, then we remain planted. Jesus speaks of this. He says, abide in me, abide in my word, live in me, I will live in you, and you will bear fruit and the everlasting fruit that remains. But staying planted requires discipline. As long uh, as fruit-bearing things need, uh, I don't know, nutrition, they need light, they need hydration. And I love that scripture says that you are like a tree planted by the rivers of living water bearing fruit in season. But this is, back to our scripture, now discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Now I've been trying to kind of think about this and what does it mean to be trained by fruits of righteousness? Or what does it mean to be uh, conditioned? And uh, I've got some tomato plants and uh, I was, I was talking to my dad and saying, Dad, how do you care for these tomato plants? And you have to, there's a little shoot that comes out between the shoots. Everyone's looking at me really blankly. Um, but these are, these are little shoots that will detract from the fruit growing. So you go around the plant and you have to nip these, these little ones out. Um, you're all looking at me like I'm crazy. Thank you. Thank you, someone. Is there any botanist in here? Just help me out. Anyway, my dad's told me this, so I believe him, and it's Father's Day, so, you know, I have to listen to my dad. Um, but he goes around, and just every little one, it pulls out. And uh, sometimes they're, they're small, aren't they? And you can just pull them. And then some of them that you've missed, you know, you kind of have to look for them. And they look like they're fruit-bearing, but... It, they're, they're taken away from the fruit. And I, and I just wonder if that's the kind of training that he's talking about, is just taking out those little shoots in us that are unfruitful. And sometimes we can go down the rabbit hole, we can go down this road, that road, and, and we, we know it's unfruitful for us, but we seem to be giving more of our energy to something that's unfruitful. And the Holy Spirit is speaking to us and training us and saying, just, just cut that out. And maybe that's painful, maybe that's something you particularly like, but you know that is a, a waste of your time. 
And I don't know, maybe for me, it's uh, scrolling through Instagram, you know, completely <laughs> wasteful, uh, complete waste of time, um, unfruitful. And uh, maybe the Lord's speaking to me, say, come on, just, just pull that out before it gets too big and just starts to take over. And uh, it looks like you're growing, looks like you're healthy, but, you know, where, where's the tomatoes? We want tomatoes, don't we? So the fruits and the consequences could be from our ill discipline. You know, if we're not disciplined, what are the consequences or fruits that we are bearing in our lives? Let me just read this from James 3. It's not up here. Who is wise among you? Who has understanding? Show by your good life and your works that are done with gentleness and born of wisdom. If you have bitter envy, selfish ambition in your heart, don't be boastful and false to the truth. Such wisdom does not come from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and devilish. For where is there envy and selfish ambition? There is also disorder and wickedness of every kind. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceful, peaceable. It's gentle. It's willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without a trace of partiality or hypocrisy. And the harvest of righteousness is sown in peace for those who make peace. That's James 3, 13 to 18. So there is a question. What happens if we're acting unwise? What happens if we're not open to the word and open to correction and instruction? And being teachable is really a key of part of us growing in the Lord. And God wants to correct us. He wants us to listen to his word. He wants us to listen to the, to the people around us. And sometimes that's hard because people around us are not perfect. In fact, well, all of us are not perfect. But God uses people to speak to us. Joe's favorite scripture, Proverbs 27, 17 says that iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. And I think that's about us being able to challenge one another. If we see our brother or sister in the Lord and they're not living God's best life, they're not living that fruitful, peaceable uh, life of righteousness, can we say something to them? Do we dare say anything to them because of our own weaknesses and our own shortcomings? We can say, well, who am I to kind of correct someone else? But could God be using them because we're not listening to God and his word? Allowing ourselves to be disciples. Now, discipleship happens through fellowship, doesn't it? And if you love someone, like a, you, you'll, you'll want to correct them. And we should surround ourselves with friends that we will listen to, that can speak into our lives and that we give them permission to correct us and say, listen, if I'm off track, you need to pull me up and I need to listen to you and, and not get upset with you, not get offended with you, not get bitter with you because I know you love me and you want the best for me. Yet they're not, their life is not perfect. Will we not listen to someone because we see the flaws in their life? But of course, we can choose whom we accept and reject correction from. But seek out those with wisdom and receive that correction. Because maybe there's something that they need to say to us and they genuinely love us and want us to go up higher, want to take us to the next 
place in our lives, but perhaps in our pride, we reject the wisdom of others and insist that we make our own mistakes, saying to ourselves, who are you to tell me what to do? Do you not know who I am? You know, uh, uh, how dare you correct me? Look at your life. Are we open to correction? I've seen people struggling in their lives and you talk to them and it's never their fault. It's always someone else. It's always, yeah, well, you don't know my boss. You don't know what my husband's like. You don't know what my wife's like. You know, you don't know how difficult my children are. You know, you don't walk in my shoes. They say, don't judge a person till you've walked a mile in their shoes because you're a mile away and you've got their shoes. So, yeah. Sorry, terrible joke. But could we miss out on personal growth, never going to the next level that God has for us, the greater things that God has for us because we've limited ourselves and the only correction we will accept is from someone who's perfect. I know times I've tried to correct people and say, you know, perhaps this isn't the right way to live. And maybe I've said it in a way that's, I don't know, unwise, you know, blurted it out. They've got offended. They've got bitterness. They've got this hurt now. And then, you know, they continue to live the way they live, but now they're also angry with me. And maybe that's a bit of wisdom and how we share things. You know, if we're going to speak the truth to somebody, maybe we need to speak it in a loving, gentle, restorative, kind way. You know, it's like that's how you want to talk to your children. If they're walking near to the hot oven or something like that, you want to say, hey, sweetie, um, it's best you don't touch the hot oven because you're going to burn yourself. I don't know, maybe I'd scream at them, no, stop. Oh, dear. Maybe we can choose the kind of correction that we have. And maybe if we're going near the cliff, the, the chances of us falling off the cliff are exponentially the closer we get to it. So maybe we warn one another to not go too close to the edge. Proverbs 13 says, Poverty and shame will come to those who disdain correction, but he who regards a rebuke will be honored. I love that. And I, my prayer is, Lord, let me be teachable. Let me listen to your Holy Spirit. Let me listen to your word. And if I'm not listening, I'm off track, Lord. Send somebody to speak to me, to correct me, to help me. Because I know God has great things for us. And he disciplines us. And God doesn't discipline us with disease. You know, I want to just get that out there. That word discipline is, is child training. That's when you hear the word discipline in Scripture. It's in a context of training a child. And you don't give your child sickness in order to teach them a lesson. And God does not give us sickness to teach us a lesson. Amen. Why? Because Jesus bore our sicknesses and our disease. Whatever he bore, we don't have to bear. Now, circumstances can teach us, and it's true God allows things to happen. You know, in the, in the sovereignty of God, he doesn't seem to stop bad things happening from good people. I had someone ask me, you know, um, why do bad things happen to good people? And I said, well, what if there were no good people? 
What if we've all fallen short of the glory of God? Um, so then why do good things happen to good people? Or why do good things happen to bad people? Or why do bad things happen to good people? That's a very good question. But one thing we do know from Scripture, spoken in Isaiah 53 and, and fulfilled in Jesus Christ, that he bore our sicknesses, he bore our diseases, and by his stripes we are healed. 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 Amen? My third point, and I only have four, so we're good. Discipline to avoid bitterness. You know, that bitterness, that uh, offense that can come, that offense can begin small and it can grow. I wonder if that's why it's called a root of bitterness, because it, it, it has depth to it. It says, see, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, and that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. Through it, many become defiled. There's a big trap in getting offended and becoming bitter. Maybe someone says something and you know they're right, but maybe they're unwise in their delivery. And uh, maybe you don't hear it because of the way it's been delivered. And you've gotten offended. And you, you, because of the offense, you then miss out on the correction that's meant to be coming your way. The truth then is blinded by this uh, root of bitterness that springs up and causes trouble and brings defilement. But God likes to, to, God corrects his children and as we are children of God, we then get to know God as our loving father. And we get to know that God loves us, then we can trust God to speak into our lives. This discipline God uses, he, he often uses circumstances to teach us and to train us. I know this is a hard one because sometimes we could think, am I in this situation because of my own fault? Then why should God bother to help me because it's my fault I'm here? And we can go to Scripture and it says, See that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Because the grace of God is that empowerment in our lives to live the life he's called us to live. And of course, grace and mercy go, go hand in hand. Grace is the empowerment to live as God called us to live. And mercy is the delayed judgment that God gives us time to figure it out and to work through our salvation with fear and trembling. God, in his mercy, delays judgment. And like he did time and time again with, with Israel, he delays it. He delays it. And he says, come on, I want to teach you. I want to train you. I want to correct you. I want to turn you around. I want you to stop pointing the fingers at others. And I want you to, to, to begin to work on yourselves. The word discipline, as I said, is in Greek is the word for child training. It's uh, the way... Uh, the way we get the word pediatrician is, is, is child training. It's the same one that Paul says that Scripture is used to train us. And God trains us through his Scripture, through his Word. And, and the question comes is what happens when we're not in a place where we're hearing God's Word? 
maybe that's where some circumstances come into our lives. What happens if, if someone says they're a Christian, becomes a Christian, they're gloriously saved, you know, but then they're still choosing to lead, lead their own life, still choosing to go their own way, thinking, I'm going to live the life that I want to live. And maybe they're living in that sin. Um, how does God discipline them? How does God turn them around when they're not, rece- not reading their Bible? when they're not coming to church, when they've maybe relapsed into their old life or their own way of thinking. If they're not listening to the Word of God, how are they receiving correction? And I think this is where we are aware of those around us and that we're able to spiritually restore those, the Scripture says, and come alongside them and and befriend them and gently correct them. And I think that's a role that we're given, and that's where the holiness and unity comes in, because we, wanna, we want them to be in the Word of God. You know, you come to the pastor and you'd say, I need, uh, what's this, what this, you know, and unload everything. And then he, he asks you really simple questions. Are you reading your Bible? Are you praying? Are you in fellowship with other believers? And they go, no, no, no. And I'm like, what else do you want from me? What else do you want me to do? I can, I can help you, but do those three things first and then come back and talk to me. I've got to close this, haven't I? Discipline means that we keep looking at Christ. Let's jump back to Hebrews 12 and the first four verses that I'm doing it in reverse order today. Look into Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. He says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, that's Hebrews 11, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that, so, that clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that's set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarded its shame and has taken a seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such hostility against him from sinners so that you do not grow weary or lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. It may sound really simple. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Maybe that's too simple for some, but if you want to stay on track, keep your eyes fixed on him. Jesus said, if you'll put your hand to the plow and you look back, then you're going to have wiggly lines. That's my loose translation. You're going to be unfit, I think the word is there. Keep your hands to the plow. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. And that means we need to follow him. That means we need to be open to correction and discipline. And didn't Paul say one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control? And he also said, don't give up. For in due season you'll reap if you do not faint. That's Galatians 5, 23 and 6, verse 9. But following Christ isn't always the easy street. It's the narrow road that Jesus speaks of, but the rewards are great. And the final note there, that scripture, isn't it? We're complaining, we're moaning, we're fed up with the discipline, we're fed up with the being corrected. You know, everything seems to be going wrong for us. And there's that lovely scripture that says, in all your moaning, complaining and struggling, have you shed blood over this? Let me show you the cross. And Christ does that to us. He's like, 
Lord, everything's so unfair. I'm surrounded by sinners. I'm surrounded by challenges. And my life is so rough and tough. And God chose the cross card. And it's like trumps, isn't it? It just trumps everything, everything else. In your struggle against sin, and I know it's tough, have you shed blood? Have you had the sin of the world placed upon you? You think you're having it rough? Let me show you Jesus. And we keep our eyes fixed on him. I am closing. Let's have the band up. We are a new creation. That's where I started. Know you are a new creation in Christ. Know that your sin has been forgiven. Know that the handwriting requirements of the law were nailed to that cross and nobody can read them because they're covered in the blood of Christ. You are a new creation. Christ rose from the dead and so too we rise with him. We died with him, we live with him. We have a share in his holiness. I love that. Just think about that for a moment. Lord, that I can share in your holiness. It means it's not my holiness, it's yours. And I can have a share in that. And I can have the peaceful fruits of righteousness. Lord, let me avoid bitterness and offense. Don't let me miss out on your grace. Don't allow me to be corrected Keep me on course. Keep my eyes fixed on you, the author, the perfecter of my faith. Let's stand for a moment. In our standing, in our taking a stand, we want the Lord to deal with us as children, not as illegitimate. But that means that he loves us. The Lord loves us. And we know that because He's correcting us, directing us, shaping us, molding us, filling us with His Holy Spirit, giving us this new life that we can live, that we can share with others. You've got to love correction. And it might be painful. Maybe we're going through some painful times. Maybe we keep making the same old mistakes again and again. And the Lord says, come on, it's time to grow up. It's time to grow up. It's time to listen to my word, be obedient to my word, be doers of it, not just hearers only. Lord, that we can be challenged by this, that we can be corrected by this and that we can see you working in our lives. In Jesus' name.